It's good to see everybody here this morning. Let's go ahead and jump right into the Word of God. How many people are expecting a great day? Amen. Amen. It is good to see you here. And because you came, you will uh, get a chance to eat a turkey leg or whatever they have back there in a few minutes. It's always great to have Thanksgiving together. I don't know if you realize this, but you know, this uh, coming Monday, not tomorrow, but a week from Monday, the Monday after Thanksgiving, November 26th, is going to be our grand opening of our coffee shop. Yeah. And let me tell you, somebody that's been the journey, <laughs> hallelujah. My hallelujah belongs to you, God. Uh, and I, I was looking at the calendar and some pictures, just looking back over the journey, and do you realize that today, two years ago, we were doing the groundbreaking. When we walked down there and, you know, there's a pile of dirt and all the, the millennials, all the singles were out there with shovels about like that. I don't know how much dirt they were going to move, but I look back and one thing that always is true, you go, hey, I still got that shirt, you know, <laughs> or, and I looked younger in that picture anyway. This morning, as we uh, continue the series, Tell Me Your Story. You know, it's a great time of year to be able to tell your story to somebody of, of the goodness of God. Um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, a friend of mine came in and I was talking to someone at, just outside my office at this door. And I had the door open and I was saying goodbye to the person that had just been meeting with me. And a, and a guy came up. And he was waiting until I was done. And I thought, uh-oh, you know, who is this guy that's kind of, you know, walked in? And I'm thinking, you know, well, what's up? And, and so I said goodbye to this guy. I turned and I went, ah! Have you ever done that to somebody that you hadn't seen in over many, a lot of years? This guy went to my high school. And he had moved away, but we had grown up together, and his name was Ricky Diaz. And Ricky was probably my best friend in, in uh, junior high, really in late elementary school and junior high and high school. And he played football with me, and he, he, he looked a lot older than I did, I'm telling you that. And, and as I, I, I was just talked to him, you know, I was... Flooded with all those memories, huh? Have you ever done that? Can, can I get a witness today? Anybody with me on that? Now, now, let me tell you, Ricky Diaz meant a lot to me because Ricky was probably, he was the toughest kid in, in school. And it was sixth grade that my mother in the church that we grew up in, she would go door to door and invite families, children to ride the church bus to church. You know, the, the times have kind of changed now. I don't know if anybody would let their children go with a stranger to church. But let me tell you, those days people would say, yes, because I don't go to church, but I would love my children to be raised in godly values in a church. And, and I remember that Ricky Diaz and his family, he grew up in five with five brothers. Let me tell you, he was tough as nails. And he was a, a Mexican young man that was strong. And I mean, he just he had it going on. He was my friend. And in sixth grade, I remember how God had changed his life. I mean, this guy had, again, bad family kind of background. And um, 
Ricky had just loved God. He went to youth camp one year and he just totally turned his life around. And I remember the same year that sixth grade, you know, you know, sixth grade when you feel like you're on ice skates the whole year, you know, you wonder if somebody's going to do something, you're going to say something, you're going to pass that grade, you're going to do this, whatever. And I remember in sixth grade, a, a guy in my class got kind of bent sidewards with John Miller. And, and what he said is, he says, you know, I've had enough of you. He said, I'm going to meet you after school. Now, that was bad enough. But I remember he, he looked at me and says, you know, Chris Dickerson, he's my friend. And we're going to meet you after school. And we're going to take care of you. Now, Chris Dickerson was probably one of the most toughest kids in the whole school. And everybody knew it. He's a big guy. He could handle himself. He kind of had a cocky kind of attitude. And I remember all day just dreading as the day, you know, some of those days that go slow, this day went very fast. And we're approaching the last hour and I'm thinking, man, I, I don't want to show up, but I'm not going to be a coward. And I'm, any, Anybody ever been in a spot, maybe in a relationship or maybe at a job or can I, anybody beside me? And I'm going to listen to this. I remember I was at my locker and I'm sitting there going, standing there going, ah, oh, what am I going to do? When my friend Ricky comes up beside me, he says, hey, is this true that I'm hearing that Darren and Chris are going to meet you after school? And I said, yeah. Now, it just so happened that Ricky had made Chris Dickerson eat dirt out on the playground. And Ricky looks at me and he says, would you like me to go with you to meet those guys after school? Well, if you would like to. <laughs> he said, I'll do it. We showed up after school, and it just so happened Darren and Chris weren't there. End of the story. This morning, I continue my series, Tell Me Your Story. In that story, the, the parallel is that, that you and I realize that we're in sin and that we, we really have messed up. And there's no hope until Jesus came on the scene and said, you want me to go with you? The devil might be picking on you. And he's a big lion. But it just so happens, I'm a bigger lion. And if you'll let me come with you, I got your back. Can I get a witness? Now this morning, the title of my message is, can you give me a witness? Can you tell me your story as a witness? Because a lot of times we think of going into to telling a story or, or it's, it's kind of downgrading or we, we think that 
when someone says, I want you to be uh, evangelistic. I want you to tell people about Jesus Christ. We kind of go, oh, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know the passages in the Bible that t- tell somebody about Jesus. I, I, now, what if it was possible for you to know and have knowledge of the word of God that gives you more of an ability to be obedient to the call of God on your life? See, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the good news. In other words, tell people about why I came. My my message is that I have come. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God has come to set the captives free. Now watch this. When we realize the story, and, and a lot of times if you have never heard the story of the prodigal son, it is a moving story of love and compassion. And it's a story about a son that really becomes, you know, prideful. He becomes a person that is, uh, that wasn't for effect, by the way, you know. Turn it down just a little bit. I think I'm feeding back. But the story of the parallel of the prodigal son is that the son goes to a distant country. And while he's there, he takes part into wild living and gives and really spends everything that he has that has been given to his father as an inheritance. And, and the story of the prodigal son is when he comes to the end of his rope, so to speak, and he's there and he's, he doesn't have any more money, he, he goes to a place where he's even feeding pigs as a job. And, and the Bible says when he comes to his senses and says, I'm much better off as even a hired hand in my father's house, Then he decides to make the choice of turning around and returning home. When he gets home, the Bible says that his father begins to see him. And and it's a beautiful story of a father expecting and looking for his son probably every day. But the day that he comes back and he's walking down, the, the Bible says that the father runs to him and throws a robe on his back and sandals on his feet and a ring on his finger, again restoring him to the place that his father had intended for him never to leave. Now this morning I want you to understand that that story again is similar to us. Can I help you guys in the sound booth any? Is it it this way? Can I kick it over or something? Thank you, Luke. Me and Ricky Diaz are going to see you in the sound booth after church. <laughs> All right. But the parable of the parable, the parable, the prodigal son story, the, the thing is that the, in the story, the older son becomes jealous that the father's love was so much towards the younger brother. But realize that the whole premise of the older brother and all the inheritance now is his really was a story that the older brother should have went looking for the younger son that had left the house. Now, this morning, Jesus, our older brother, came to earth to seek and to save us that was lost. 
this morning, realizing that the last series that we were in was design or destiny by design, that God has a plan for us. And each one of us have a purpose in that plan of, of how we're seeing things happen and how our purpose lines up with the will of God for our life. In this series, we talked about the first week is what is in your hand and, and just the thing of Moses having the staff and guiding the people out of uh, slavery. And, and a lot of times what we have in our hand is our story that sometimes we downplay is no big deal. That God can use what we put into his hand. Last week, Gwen did a great job and she preached on uh, several passages. But the, the one passage that she kind of camped out on was the story of the, the ten lepers that had of course, leprosy, but Jesus had healed them all. But out of the 10, only one returned to say thank you. And, and she talked about having a thankful heart gives you the ability to tell people of the goodness of God, telling your story. Sometimes we get in a place where we take, again, what we've been uh, able to see God do in our life is for granted. Or it just was a coincidence after time elapsed. Well, nobody wants to hear that. But it's so important to have that attitude, as we talked about in the first hour this morning, the attitude of gratitude in our life. It, it enables us to tell the story of what God's done in our life. Now, this morning, I want you to see the difference between actually being a, an apologetic. That, that sounds like a big word, but really what it is, is trying to talk people into Christianity and, and, and why it, it is so important for them. But, but to be a witness is what Jesus has really asked us to be. Not an attorney, but a witness to be able just to tell our story. Now, let me give you an example. If, if you saw an accident, but we've used that before, but if you ever went to an event that you were a participant and not just a spectator, you could tell people the story, couldn't you? Let me tell you, if somebody came up to us today and they stood here and asked the question, how in the world did that little blonde-headed lady, Gwen Miller, ever marry that guy, John Miller? I could say, scoot out of the way. I could tell you the story. It happened like this. Once upon a time. You know, and I could tell the story about how we met and how things went. We, we met, he got into the snowball fight, and you know, and it was, you know. See, there, there, there's no guessing. I, I was there. Somebody could say, well, well, that's not right. I could say, yeah, it was, because I was there. Everybody's tracking with me. See, see, I could respond if somebody asked me, tell me the story. I could say something like, it's none of your business. You hear people kind of react that way to their testimony of what God's done in their life. Really, it's none of your business. You could also respond to say, well, you know, I'd like to tell you some time, you know, but I don't have time right now. Here's kind of the pious way. You don't really want to know. And if you heard the story, you wouldn't believe me. Or you could do this. Take a seat. Let me tell you my story. And begin to share what God has done in your life. Now, now this morning, I, I'm coming to the place of getting you to see what Jesus in his life here on this earth illustrates to us about telling our story. Now, every year... Around Christmas and, and on Christmas Eve is our candlelight service. We invite everybody. It's at six o'clock. It's only an hour long. And every year as, as I read this passage of scripture, it's right before we light the candles. 
And if you've been here one time, maybe you remember it. It's out of uh, Mark chapter 4, or Matthew chapter 4, verse 13. And, and it talks about Jesus and starting his ministry. And it says, leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Here's the passage. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Who's a Gentile? Everybody that's not a Jew. Chances are we're all Gentiles. It says, The people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. From that time on, it says, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. You could say from that time on, he began to preach. He began to say his message of why he was here and what God was able to do in their lives. This morning, I'm going to take you through kind of two chapters in the, in the Bible and kind of explain, here, here's how Jesus is. Let me, let me you, you would thought I would have thought this through before now, but let, let's use these two. This is both sides of the Sea of Galilee. This is the Jewish side. And this is Decapolis. Decapolis was ten cities that were really, a lot of people thought, were, were the descendants of the people that the Israelites, coming out of Egypt in the Old Testament, ran out of the Promised Land. They went to the east side of the Jordan. Now, this is just hearsay, but all through history, the people of Decapolis, the ten cities, Decapolis, decade, you know, the yeah, okay. Anyway, Decapolis, ten cities, were really pagan run, even though that they were like right there in Israel. They were, you, you can go through history and you can find out that when, when the Roman Empire came in, that Decapolis kind of celebrated because they thought that they were under really all this strict legalism of the Pharisees in the synagogue. But these ten cities were pretty much Gentiles. They, they weren't really Jewish. So, so this morning I want you to see that because Jesus is going to be teaching his disciples and a lot of times we'll hear and we'll read the passages of scripture and we see that he's discipling his disciples so that they can again go and change the world through his message. But sometimes we don't see that actually when he is on one side of the, the shore that he's teaching and then he comes back to the other side and he, he's just he's going around the known world, his his circle of you know geography where he lives. Now watch this. If you turn to Mark chapter 4, this is the parable of the sower. We, we've talked about that several times. And he, he's teaching the people about sowing seed and how it came up and the things that were the obstacles in a person's life. But at the end of that chapter, he says these words. Let's get in the boat and let's go over to the other side. Okay? Everybody with me? Let's get in the boat. And really, he's over here. Let's go over to the other side, into Decapolis. It says this, And when it happened that the storm came upon them, now, now remember this, this is just an amazing story. A, a storm comes up and, and they say, you know, aren't you scared that we're going to die? And he had just taught them on faith. So he, he 
gets up and he says, peace be still. And, you know, you don't have faith yet. And, and the storms calm down. Ooh, I love that. Now, now, I want you to hear that here these guys that are in the boat instantly have a story. Can we all agree to that? Don't you think that they can tell somebody about this story that they were in the middle of the boat? Some of them are fishermen. Some of them have been on the sea. and But now they all think they're going to die. Jesus gets up. Boop, and He speaks to the wind and the waves. The storm that's blowing in. He's like, enough. Peace. Ooh. Vote. Now listen to this. In the last part of that, verse 41, it says, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves Obey Him. Now watch. Now, the next passage I'm going to leave out because we're going to go back to that just in a minute. The next passage I want you to leave out because we're going to go back in a minute. In chapter 5, I want you to skip down to verse 21. It says, when Jesus crosses over to the other side in a boat. Now, what side is He on? He's on this side. And He's going around and He's preaching the good news and it says that a Pharisee comes up to him named Jairus. He's part of the synagogue. And says, my little daughter is dying. And so Jesus says, I'll go with you. So when they turn to go to Jairus' house, th this is amazing. Somebody that's telling the story tells it in such detail that you're going, man, you almost feel like you're walking there in his shoes. Because he's going to... Jairus' house, and something touches the hem of his garment, the robe, and he turns to and goes, who touched me? And again, his disciples are going, who touched you? It, it's so crowded. You know, who in the world knows who touched you? Everybody's touching you. And what's amazing, if you read that in detail, he, he goes, he, it says that he just keeps looking. Because he has felt dumina, which is power that has gone out of him. Now again, that just... Whew, you just sit there and hopefully you're reading the Bible during the week and meditate on that for a minute. And you'll go, wow, that he felt power come out of him. And he looks around and, he, and, and this lady comes forward. And she's been sick for years with a blood disorder. And the moment that she touches him, she's healed. Spent all her money, all that. And all of a sudden, he said, she comes and says, it was me. And he says, it's your faith that made you well. Now, I'm telling you something so that you'll know when, when, when you hear a story like this, you know what happens, right? Your faith begins to rise. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of God. So, so listen to this. As they, hear, as they see this happening, they're going, are you kidding me? She got healed just by touching his garment? Lesson learned. So then they... They say that about the time that he's turning now to go to Jairus' daughter to heal her, word comes and says, word from the house, you don't have to go anymore. Sorry, she didn't make it. Jesus says, let's go anyway. And so the Bible says that Jesus walks with the disciples to her house or to Jairus' house. Listen to this. When they get there, he only takes in Peter, James, and John. Again, I, I think that there's a point of people that just had faith going in. 
it says that when he gets there and takes these disciples in, the commotion is wailing. And, but they didn't know the peacemaker, the waymaker, the miracle worker is shown up. And they almost laugh him out of the place thinking that he's saying, he's going to raise her from the dead. He goes in and boom, the miracle happens. She gets out of the deathbed. And it says the people were amazed. Now, I tell you that story because he's on this side of the shore among the Israelites, the believers. But still, there's people that don't believe. But he's still, still telling the story. Remember, as he's going into Jairus' house, they're wailing. He says she's only asleep. They start laughing. He's going to tell the story through the power of God. I'm, I'm going somewhere. Track with me. So here he is, and a miracle happens. That story has been told for thousands of years, what Jesus did and the power of God. Well, this morning, I want you to go back to the first part of five, because after the storm blew in, and he says, peace to the storm, he gets off of the boat, and he's in garrison. Or some passages called gladiusing. Now this is probably one of the most. Excuse me. Mind. Challenging. Exciting. Are you kidding me? Stories that we read in the Bible. The Bible says that. When, the, when he calms the storm. He gets off the boat. Now he's in, in, on the shore of the Gentiles. He's going to go over here and heal the lady and heal Jairus' daughter, but he's here. And he's coming here to tell the story to Gentiles. The dark. It's, they don't believe. This is what's amazing. I, I just got to read it because I might miss something. I, I want you to look at verse 21. No, no, no. Go back. Let's go to 5. Verse 1. It says, They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. He, he's living out among the tombs. Can, can you imagine if this was a movie, the music plan? See, because I can read it and you guys aren't, you know, it's daylight and everything. But if you ever watch, dun, 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 you know, it picks up and you're going, don't go to the basement, you know, but they always go to the basement. A man with an impure, he was demon possessed. An impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. The man lived there, lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore. Not even with a chain. This guy was demon-possessed. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Do you understand that the enemy had beaten this guy senseless. He's living in the tombs. Nobody can even tie him up with the chain. 
Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Can, can you imagine the, the, the gruesome sound it would be? If you've ever heard a coyote out in there, you know, you, or you oh, that's kind of that's cool, but I don't want to go out there. But can you imagine a demon-possessed man that's yelling and cutting himself? Hey, honey, you want to take a night walk? I don't think so. When they saw Jesus, when he saw Jesus from a distance, I, I just, hmm. This is a story that somebody is telling us. And his name is Mark. It says, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. Now, get this. He is so terrifying that people are trying to time up. He isn't going to beg anybody for anything. He's the one that's having them beg. But in this situation, it says that he comes and falls on his knees. In front of Jesus, he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want? I don't know what he says, but he said, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, I'm sorry, for Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. I, the guy is a deep... Have you ever thought that... Just let me put this in. Have you ever thought that why did... Why, how in the world did that demon-possessed man actually know that he was the Son of God? Here's what I believe. The spirits, the demon spirits that resided in him... Watch this. When, when Satan fell from heaven... Because Satan was the worship leader in heaven. Worshipped God. Worshipped the Son of God. Listen, when Satan fell, it says that he took a third of the angels with him. That we believe are demons. That these that are talking are them. We know that testing the Spirit. So, Have you ever been in a worship service and you just felt the Holy Spirit in your life? And just, oh. I believe that these demons that were in this man could actually feel and sense the presence and all of a sudden the climate of the land begins to change. They become familiar to who Jesus was. Why? Because they had worshipped Him once. Can you just for a second picture those demons thinking they're big and bad and large and in charge and all of a sudden they go, Oop, no way. Is that who I think it is? And they run and fall at Jesus' feet and beg Him. Don't, don't, don't torture us. And Jesus is saying, as He's running to Jesus, come out of Him. Then Jesus asked, what is your name? He says, my name is Legion. He replied, for we are many. A legion could be somewhere around 5,000 Roman soldiers plus a little bit might, but there was a lot of demons in this guy. My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again to send them out. Do not send us out of the area. They loved Decapolis. This was pagan worship. This was do whatever you think is right. It don't matter. God's not in charge over here like he is over there. Don't send us out of the area. Now watch this. 
a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave, Jesus gave them permission and the impure spirit came out and went into the pigs. The herd was about 2,000 in number. Rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and were drowned. Now watch it. You're hearing somebody tell this story and what? Ran into the pigs? Went into the water? If you're hearing this story for the first time, you might be like the people that heard Mark tell it. As he was telling the story, you're going, no way. Come what, what happened after that? Anybody there beside me? I've read this many times and I can't wait to hear the rest. Can I get a witness? Here we go. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. Do you hear? When they came to Jesus, now watch this kind of this response again. We're in Decapolis. We're on the other Sea of Galilee, the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And it says that when they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there. First point, sitting there. He wasn't running around screaming. Sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. They were afraid. Now, now remember this. When somebody that has had a life change, the first response is we expect somebody to go, Hallelujah! Amen! I'm in. What do you want? What do I need to do? You want me to be baptized? You got something water? Let's go. Why is that? Realize that people that are not serving God, that their first response is that they're afraid. Now, now watch this. Listen to this. It says they were afraid. Those who seen it, told the people who had happened to the demon, what happened to the demon-possessed man. It, it wasn't the demon-possessed man that said, it was these people that are hearing say, hearsay. And, and they told him, listen to this, look, and they told him about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. You go, what? See, sometimes people say, can you solve our problems? But save our pigs. See, our, our pigs are very valuable, and I don't. Uh... Now, now, here's what I want you to catch among all those things it says as Jesus was getting into the boat. So, Jesus is getting in the boat, and he's about ready to go over to the other side to heal the lady with the blood disorder and heal Jairus's, raise her from the dead. Listen to this. As Jesus was getting in the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him to go with him. Take me with you. Some of you have come out of a bad background and you're saying, they don't treat me right in that background. Think of this guy. He could have said, I will always be called the demon-possessed guy or the cuckoo guy out here in the tombs that are running around. Jesus, take me with you. But here's something that's golden. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has mercy, had mercy on you. 
So the man went away, began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Now, he goes over, preaches the good news, and then he gets in the boat, and he goes back. This is another story of him coming to Decapolis, and in verse 31 it says, Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sodom, down the Sea of Galilee, and into the region of Decapolis. So he's back. What will it be like? Will it be perfect? A bunch of Gentiles that are still afraid of him saying, go, go, get away. It says, there some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. In another uh, book, another gospel, it says there was a large crowds of people from Decapolis that would follow Jesus. We even think that in the Decapolis, there's the feeding of the 5,000, but there's also a feeding of 4,000, and that could have been in Decapolis. But it says this, after he took the blind man and, and the man that couldn't speak very good away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers in, his, in the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and said in a deep sigh, which means be opened. And this, the man's ears were opened and his tongue was loosened and he began to speak plainly. Now watch this. It says, Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. I, I don't know why Jesus did this. I, I assume that he's saying, I don't want people just to go on the fanaticism of me being able to do miracles. It is proving his deity of God. But at the same time, he is here to save the lost. Not just, not just, it's important, but not just to provide miracle after miracle. Salvation is for eternity. Now, Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. Maybe he did it to say, let's see if you can. Because the Bible says, but the more he did that, the more they kept talking about it. Don't touch the wet paint. What, this paint? What, is, there some, is this paint wet? What is that? They told me not to say anything, but... He touched him and he was healed. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute to speak. Now, I'm going to wrap this up. I want you to know that in telling your story of giving a witness of what Jesus has done in your life has a ripple effect. See, people will hear about God or Jesus, you know, and, and sometimes it becomes God because we feel like, but Jesus is specific with the face that it has come to earth and died on the cross for us, and it, it becomes, ooh, 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 slow down. But when they hear you at work and somebody's going through a difficult time, and you know what you're going to say about your story and you begin to share it, all of a sudden, there's a sense and a possibility of them inching their chair up and then getting on the edge of their chair 
and going, help me again. Let me say this. In the two times that we know that it's actually called Decapolis, that we know that that is the inhabitants of the Gentiles, the inhabitants of darkness. And what I love is just in my opening story of Ricky Diaz and me and, and him taking my side, that's what Jesus came to do. He came to pierce the darkness in Decapolis where everybody was scared to go. That was, and it, you know, it's a distant country. Ugh. To preach the good news. And do you know that this is hearsay? I mean, this is just theologians maybe doing a little bit of assuming. Hear me, this is not in the Bible, but it's great food for thought. In the parable of the prodigal son, when Jesus says that the younger son goes to a distant country, some people think it's Decapolis. Because it sure did have wild living. And a lot of people, and a lot of maybe speakers have talked about why did the Jews have pigs? They weren't very, because they weren't supposed to eat pork. But in Decapolis, it is believed that they would sacrifice pigs to their pagan gods, and it was a highly prized possession. Possibly the younger son in the prodigal son, this location had a lot of pigs to be hired out to feed. It was a short walk, if not a small boat ride, back to Israel where his father was waiting and forgiving. And when I read those stories, and I think about a loving Jesus, a loving Messiah that has come to seek and to save. He is the older brother in the story that comes to Decapolis to say, I'm going to tell you my story. It's good news. This morning, all of us have been given the grace of God. Now it's up to you if you receive it or not. It's a free gift. And this morning, I'm going to encourage you. If you put your faith in God and you're a believer, if you're not, let me tell you that, that it is the most important decision that you'll ever make in all of your life and the hereafter for eternity. But if you're a believer here today, I'm going to ask you to tell your story. The next step is I want it to be very practical so that you have an idea of what I'm talking about. I want to ask our ushers if they would begin to pass out the, the sheet of paper that I have. This is going to take a very short time. And they're just going to give it to you and I want to have you read it later. But really, it is a way of just kind of a template of how to begin processing your story. Like the, the first one is recall. Just, just begin to recall what God has done in your life. Then record it down. And then rehearse it. Yeah, rehearse it, practice it. Some of you don't realize, but I preach all my sermons before I preach them. I rehearse them. And I know that you're glad because of it. The person that is hearing your story is going to be glad that you know your story. And then release it. 
begin to talk about it. Tell people your story. As they're passing those out, just in the last few minutes before we close the service, what we have done as a church is we have built and invested a lot for our church in a point of entry into the kingdom of God in a called a coffee shop. Some of you don't realize the name is called Axiom Coffee. If you don't know what the word axiom means, here it is. A self-evident truth that needs no proof. Which means God. And as people in our church, people that are believers, sit in a building and begin to just share and love people and tell them their story. I believe, as God has led us to do this, we will see people come to know God for the first time in their life. Some of them will be prodigal sons and prodigal daughters that will be going, this is, this, you know, they're young, so this is cool. Do you know that a few of the, the grid, the singles were working last night on the coffee shop and Heath has them, you know, doing some things and training and stuff. And a young couple knocked on the door. And they said, are you open? Says, no, but come on in. So later I said, did you charge them, Heath? They offered, but we didn't take their money. He said, and, and they, they, <laughs> the reason I know is because I'm at home and he's sending me a picture in this young couple smile. He says, they say they're going to be regular at our church. Now, are they, well, Pastor, I wish they would come to our church. They are coming to our church. See, sometimes we have to readjust our definition of church. Sometimes we even have to readjust, well, Pastor, I, I don't own the coffee shop. Who does? Do I? No. If you've invested into that coffee shop and you're a part of our church, you're a co-owner. Just, just think about it a minute. We live in a country it has a lot of churches. And if I said you own this church, you're part of this church. You own this church. What? There's something that goes off on the inside. No, I don't own it. There's not too many churches that own a coffee shop where people want to go. And your co-owners with us. And the reason why we did that is not to serve a better cup of coffee or another cup of coffee. The point is to be able to share the love of God with people 
that need to hear the good news in Decapolis. If you tracked with me this morning on the stories, I know I jumped back and forth. But you know that the storm arose as Jesus was going to Decapolis. The disciples didn't know that in Decapolis was a demon-possessed man. And maybe, just maybe, all of hell was breaking loose against Jesus, saying, you're not coming over here. And Jesus said, oh, yes, I am. Peace be still. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to tell your story. And then I'm going to ask you a question. Can I get a witness? Amen. Let's pray. Father, you are such a loving God. The God that when we stop, God, when we stop, we're so busy, but when we stop and we begin to think of all the things that you've done for us, God, we become grateful. God, we thank you. And God, people, God, they, they might not say, they might be able to say, don't tell us this. We can't help but tell the story. Of the amazement, God, the love that you have for us. Father, today I just I just pray that God that you would be able to just speak to us. There's people in our life right now that we have hesitated of sharing the love of God with them. But God, I just pray that we begin to tell the love of God over and over and over to our children. We tell our stories so that one day they don't go, Mom, I never heard that about how God was good. Oh, no. They say, Mom, you're going to tell me the story again? Yes, I am. Because God, you have been good to us. Father, today, thank you. And we are truly, truly thankful. In your name I pray. Amen.